Hang in there, idiot. Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to The Smiley Show. I am very happy to be joined by James Seekman. He was my short game coach, still is to this day. And James, our journey, not only did it start when I was professional, but it it started when I was probably, what was it, 12, 13 years old was the first time you laid eyes on a, on a young whippersnapper of, of Smiley Kaufman at Shoal Creek? Yeah, that's exactly right. The part three course at Shoal Creek. And I should tell you the story because I'm not so sure you even know, but you got, <laughs> you got two minutes to hear this? this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I get this random phone phone call one, uh, maybe it's like November. <laughs> And it was, he said, hey, I'm Alan Kaufman. I'm the coach at UAB. So that's your granddad, obviously. And he said, I got your name from uh, Steve Lowry, who I coached on the PGA Tour. And he's from Birmingham. He's a member of Greystone there. Lives at Greystone. I don't know. And um, I got this player that needs short game help. He's a great player. And I asked Steve, who's the best short game coach in the country? And he gave me your name. So he says, would you come down and work with this player? So I said, I set up a... A couple of weeks later, a day to work with Steve, and then a follow-up day to work with this player. And I went out to Shoal Creek, and this kid just wore my ass out. I was like five hours, and it was like, what about this lie? What about, what do you do when the sand is soft? What do you do uh, in northern grasses when it's into the grain? And, it, you know, he just, you know, there's a million questions. He wouldn't let me go. So I worked five hours with him, and then there's like eight other kids standing on the team over the side. <laughs> And I had like three hours left. I'm like, hey, coach, uh, I got three hours. I'm done, you know. And uh, the other kids are like, hey, do you need any any questions, any help, anybody struggling with their putting? or All eight of them go like, no, I'm good, which is crazy. So the guy that wanted the help was Graham McDowell. (laughs) I knew that was going to be the answer. (laughs) And that year he won the Hogan Award as the best player in college. And none of that set the all-time scoring record in college scoring average for a season, like 68 and a half for the season. And so it was I always tell that story. I told the golf magazine top 100 thing, because like the great player wanted to be coached. He wanted to be coached up hard and he couldn't get enough. And the guys that were just okay, they didn't want to be uncomfortable. They were like, no, I'm good. You know, like I, surely somebody has a question. Like, how do you prepare a yardage book for a, a major championship? How do you, you know, there's got to be a question somewhere, right? But they, they were good. So anyway, so I go to your granddad. I'm like, well, listen, everybody's good. I got these extra, I got three more hours or whatever. And he goes, well, would you mind working with my two grandkids? So your brother's lucky, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is he older or younger? I didn't, he's younger. He's two years younger. I, I well, had no so, idea. Lucky was a part of the lesson. Yeah, no, he was. So I worked with, I think I worked with you for maybe two hours. And I think I worked with Lucky for one. <laughs> and uh, you were maybe 12. He was maybe like 10 or something like that. Oh, man. And, uh, anyway, so. Uh, that's, that was our start and I, it was still going. So I don't know, that was like 20 years ago, maybe. Right. Holy moly. Well, two questions there. So Graham McDowell, did he have the frosted tips still at the time when you were giving him this lesson? Cause he used to have like the Ian Poulter frosted tips. Look, I don't know if you recall uh, I, I what he, he looked like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know laugh him, about but, that. You know, the funny thing is, is I know he's a flusher and the, I just so stricken by the fact that the great player couldn't get enough. And the the guys, I mean, think about how complicated, how hard golf is, right? There's so much to do, whether it's how do you, you know, the, 
how do you get the right foods at the right time during your round? What about water? Mm -hmm. Preparing a book. How would you prepare for an unusual course if you get one? I mean, there's so many questions a guy would have. And then there's eight kids that didn't, you know, you brought this guy in that's supposed to be an expert and they, they don't they don't have one question. It was just mind boggling <laughs> to me. Well, let's talk a little bit more about just you and I and, and how you've kind of mentored and coached me over the years. And we just talked about the 12 year old me and I, you, there's probably, you probably don't remember that lesson at all. I, well, I actually I do. do. Actually. I do remember the lesson a little bit, but my question to you is from that time until let's say now, you know, what if, what, what stands out just about uh, the development of my short game and just uh, how, how kind of how far we've come, I guess, as a, yeah. uh, as a pair yeah, I would say first off, uh, you were you're a great student. Obviously, you can't teach talent, and you had that up to zoo. And I would say when you're on, you're, I put your short game. I've coached Smiley a hundred. I counted up the other day for a magazine piece. <laughs> 128 different pros on the wow. tour, and when you're on, uh, wedge game for sure. Putting, you, you you had years where you putted phenomenal. I put you up against anybody. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you feel that the same way, but I no, mean, I, I definitely the short game yeah. was, was going as as good as anybody, you know, Pernice or anybody that I've ever seen. So uh, the key there is I remember that we started in the bunker mm -hmm. uh, there at Shoal Creek. There's a par three kind of up the hill. Uh, there's a bunker on the left-hand side of the green. Uh, and I think the key to anything, especially at a young age, is to understand what the foundational pieces are. You can't be simply, uh, it feels this way today because feelings change over time, we're malleable. So if the foundations are written out, and I don't know if you recall, but I gave you notes because oh, I yeah. brought notes for everybody. I had them for years. <laughs> and, um, we would write down whatever it is we came up with, like, okay, this is how we're going to line up. We're going to line up square instead of to the to the left, which is something foundational I feel is we're going to get our toes out. We're going to sit. We're going to, you know, make a big enough swing where we can extend or cup the wrist, which is this little thing right here, which mm -hmm. you know, creates, uh, well, when you release that angle, creates dynamic loft and speed and spin. And, and so we went through it all and I'm sure we wrote it down. And then I would say your job at that point is to get, you know, 1% better at it every time you practice without becoming distracted. Now, it's the, the second, the last part of that is the important part, and it's the hard part because yeah. results can distract you. You blade one bunker shot at the wrong time, and it's easy to kind of go, oh my gosh, something's wrong. It's like, no, no, let's just do what we said we're going to do better. And I think that's where you and I, even though golf is um, a journey that with both highs and lows in it, it's really important, like what happens during the low times. You know, we had. Like I said, in college, you might have putted as good as anybody on the earth. But there are times as a pro where the putter got, got cold. So now oh, what yeah. do you do? Well, you, you don't go away from your foundational pieces. You just reassess and like, which one am I not doing? And then you might have a different way where you walk in. I, I remember uh, when you did go a little cold. You, you, want a, you want a corn fairy event. Then you played beautifully right at the beginning. One in Vegas, you know, and then at some point the putter went a little cold and we started talking about like, okay, do I put my right in? Do I aim with my right hand only and then step in? You know, I'm sure you remember all that. You probably oh, still yeah. have that <laughs> clear. But so you learn different ways to get your mind right. And I, I would call that playing without distraction. Mm -hmm. Results 
uh, clear, I'm committed, I, I got a picture of the cup, you know, that sort of thing. But the foundational pieces hopefully were set at 10 years old and they haven't changed or they shouldn't change very often. You know, if you change one thing on your list, it might be the third or fourth year. It's not like the third week or most players at a club, they change three times in a day. You know, they got a, <laughs> they got a different swing. Come on, they got a different swing exactly. on the fourth tee because the first three holes they played five over, you know, and they're trying the new swing on four. And that's, that's a recipe for a uh, disaster. I don't care if you have, you know, so. Well, and one of the things that I, I recall uh, right from the get-go is how you would set up uh, practice. You know, this was something that uh, as, as a kid, you know, I, I just threw balls on the green. I, I, I love to compete. That was something that you and I always connected on, but it was, that was like kind of towards the end of how, you know, I, I found myself to prepare every single week and how you typically would set it up. It would, it would be, you know, we'd have our block practice, we'd have a random practice and then we would go compete. And for, for those that are trying to get better in the game of golf, specifically, let's say the short game, you know, what, what to you stands out about how you learned this um, as, a, as a way to make players improve? Because, you know, you have all this information, James, that you learned, but also it's like, all right, now how do I take this and, and make a tour player better? Right. Well, not just a tour player, but every single player. So I have three rules for anybody that works with me. And rule number two is you got to get value from the time you invest. Rule one was to define your foundational pieces. And three is you got to play distraction free. So there are your three rules. So if we're going to get value from our practice time, it has to be structured so that you're you're accomplishing specific things, and there's a, a proper order to it. So the first piece, as you mentioned, block practice is like okay, my foundations are defined in the bunker. I'm going to do these four things. I got to check and make sure I'm actually doing those four things, and that means a learning environment. I'm, I'm being mindful of the mechanics, uh, detail-oriented, and I'm checking off my list. Yes, I'm doing one. Yes, I'm doing two. Yes, I've done all four things. The goal of that type of practice, a lot of people get this wrong, is actually to be done as quickly as you can. It's to confirm that you're doing them. It's not to relearn how to do it. That, that happens the first time, and then that amount takes what it takes. So if it takes you four hours to learn it, then we're going to stay there for four hours until you do. But once you've learned it, that's motor control. Motor learning happens when you when you show up the next day without the coach and you set up your block practice station and you check everything and th those feels mm -hmm. are, um, you know, they happen again. They strengthen. So 95% of what you know in life is intrinsic. Smile. It's subconscious. It's like I know it, but I don't know how. I I'm going to give you a 52-degree you're going to run it up over this hill and it's going to go up and break left to right. And you got to figure out the right trajectory and landing spot and how much it's going to break. You know, how do you know how much, how do you know where to land it? Well, the answer is, you know, because you do, I can yeah. just tell. Right. And that's what <laughs> sports is. So 95% of what you know in life is that it's, it's not your cerebral cortex going, uh, let me do this math formula. It's like I can sense that if I land it just left of the brown spot, it's going to run up and curve and go in. So the question becomes, in your practice, whether you're Smiley Kaufman or somebody at the club, how do you develop and improve that skill, that sense of what to do? And the key is it's not one, one after the other in a pile. 
because you're only getting one rep of what's happening. So I'll tell yeah. you a couple stories about, and then the, so we do random practice, develop that skill set, uh, that ability to judge, feel, touch, focus, and then we win our way off the green. And that's more my thing of just, I feel like there's a ton of value in winning uh, and winning every day and making it a habit. But I'll tell you two quick stories. So one time I was at the British Open and I was going around, I asked Ricky Fowler, like, how'd you get so good at short game? Because he grew up with Tom Pernice at the same course with one of my students. And he goes, well, basically threw balls everywhere and I just screwed off. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly how you should be practicing. You just like try every random shot you could try. So Ricky's not in a pile going like, how do I swing? He's like being super creative. Fair? Mm-hmm. And um, that's what most people do. But if you think about how most people practice, Smiley, they have one club. The other clubs are in their bag. They're hitting the same shot over and over. Or they're they're in a spot where they should be playing a 52 and they got their 60 out. And now they're playing the wrong shot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So what we did after we did our warm-up, we did a lap around the green. I did this with Russell Henley in, in Hawaii. We did two laps around the green, three clubs he's going to possibly use, and I tried to pick every crazy shot I could pick, like feet up, <laughs> Just up, him. up slope, him. sitting down in the down slope, like across a slope. I said, okay, now I want to see three bounces before it hits the green. So what club would you use if you're going to have three bounces before it gets to the green? You know, So you're trying to challenge their creativity and their shot-making skill. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. And then uh, winning is fun, and your focus goes up. And I don't know about you, but when I play golf, if I'm going to do it for 30 years, I want to have as much fun as I can. I don't, right. don't want to be out there. You know. So the story there would be I was giving a, a lesson to a kid at the back of the range at Monterey Peninsula Country Club during the tournament. Mm-hmm. And it was a pro's kid, and he, he was miserable. He couldn't was not making good contact. He's like throwing F-bombs and you know just being sour. And I was feeling sorry for myself as a coach. And up walks Padre Carrington with his caddy. This is the back of the range at Monterey Peninsula. And he hits a few. Then he disappears. Then, like, 30 seconds later, I see him hitting shots off the wood-chipped uh, cart path. Okay? Okay, yeah. So he's, like, hitting off the – and then I disappear. And then I see these balls flying over the hedge. There's a hedge back there. He's on the wrong side trying to whip balls over the hedge onto the green. And then later, it's a true story. He's tr- he, there's a tree back there. He's trying to ricochet balls off the tree onto the green. <laughs> so I turned to the kid and I said, okay, listen, three-time major champion, having a blast, and you are the most miserable human I've ever seen, and you're so hyperventilating on your contact. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's really the, the, the things that when we talk about getting value, the lessons that can be learned, I think, for not only the tour player, but everybody. You don't want to be that miserable kid. You want to be Ricky Fowler or Padre Carrington just having a blast, trying to figure out different ways to do it, you know? Yeah, and and you also kind of briefly mentioned Russell Henley, and I thought that was interesting because – you know, he, he had a chance to win at the Sony Open and I'm sitting there as I normally do when I catch up with the group, I go through their stats to see like, what are they doing well that week? And when we had dinner early in the week, you said that Russell was just really struggling um, on the in the dormant that we always do in the wintertime yeah. here in the South. It's just hard to chip. So he's kind of confused on on contact. But like you said, you do the competing right. around around the green, he gets better. And I was looking at his stats and showed up and I'm like, what the heck? 
whatever he told him, it worked because he's first around the greens this week and he hit the sauciest bunker shot on 15 I've ever seen. It was just, it was, it was obviously, it's, it's got to be satisfying as a coach to show up where a player's confused and then they go out and are be able to take yeah. it into, into competition. And, and you know, uh, luckily Russell's hired me for the year. So we had good experience. He said, okay, Great. let's do it again. But I'll say this. The real issue was, uh, you know, he's basically in that dormant, wet Georgia day. Oh, God. Grass. He's basically it's chipping tough. off mud. He's basically <laughs> chipping off mud. You know, after you do that for a while, you're finding a way to, like, pick it off, right? And so he's yeah. kind of dropping it underneath. And he sends me a video from, like, the week before Kapalua, like, hey, I'm sculling these shots. And then, of course, now you're worried. You're distracted. You're worried about, am I going to skull it? Am I going to hit off fat off this mud? And first thing I told him, I said, listen, you're going to be fine in Hawaii because it's going to seem easy. So just quit practicing. Quit. Just go putt. Do, you know. But I said, listen, we'll connect in Hawaii uh, and I'll, I'll show you, you know. So we did. So he was, uh, ball was a little forward and he was dropping the club a little underneath in the downswing and it is too shallow but he's I, I think he's developed it because he's trying not to dig into the mud it's you know, <laughs> probably you know, why elite athletes can figure out <sighs> so anyway i just showed him how to train had uh I, we divined his foundation showed him how to train i said we're gonna do laps around the green and i'm gonna make hit every crazy shot you can hit and you're gonna describe the shot to me before you hit it what club what trajectory where you're going to land it, how much it's going to break, and what side of the hole it's going to go in at. And so he had to verbalize that to me. We probably did that for an hour. And now all of a sudden he's playing golf, hitting shots, instead of hyper-focused on his swing or the contact or all the, you know, He's playing like a twelve-year-old, as opposed. To, <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I was I, I was texting you live updates. If if we weren't there live with Russell, I was like, "Hey, great! He just hit a great chip, or he had a great bunker shot." I was yep. like, I was like very excited for for you that he was he was having so much success, and uh, I, I know you had fun watching that. But uh, transition quickly over to Augusta National because I, there, this this to me, I think I don't have the success I had at the, my first my only run at the Masters was I, I credit most of it to you because of all of the work that you did really probably the years prior to when I got there going around Augusta National with Charlie Hoffman. And and as we, as we know with Charlie, he had a ton of success there as well. Augusta National to you, I mean, what have you learned about that place over the years and the strategies involved that, that, right. that tempt players, but also just kind of what you've uh, come to learn? Well, you're, you're exactly right. So for one of the things that, the course changes a lot from Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday to Friday to Saturday. And so that's one of the things you got to be prepared for as a player. But uh, you cannot do proper prep work, show up on a Monday with the, all those people. So one of the things I've learned with Charlie is we, we had always gone the week prior uh, when the course is as close to, you know, they're getting the mm. thing ready for the tournament. And we would go 18 holes with just the wedges and the putter leave all the clubs in the clubhouse. I got the wedges and the putter and we would chart every pin location where the quality position is relative to that, the breaks, the strategies, you know? And so I did that probably with him for five years. I, no, I probably had done it with Pernice before that. But uh, so when you arrived on the scene, I had that experience set in there and we, I was ready. We, yeah. Well, we, we decided and we had talked it through. It's like, we're going to go the week before. 
And so we went, we met up, I think the Saturday before the tournament week and we went around the course, maybe it was the Friday. And, uh, we did exactly that. We charted all the pins. We chipped every pin. We putted every pin. And I remember how well you were driving at that week too, which has nothing to do with me, but, uh, you did, you were ready short game wise yeah. and, and prepared. And so one of the things in any sport preparation does, if you talk to a basketball coach or whatever, is preparation breeds confidence and confidence breeds commitment. So if you don't really truly feel prepared, and remember 95% of what you know is subconscious, intrinsic. So you know whether you're truly prepared or not. So right. whether it's a basketball game or a foot, whatever, you knew you were prepared for that week because you had done the work. And, um, you can't, you can't cheat it. It can't be just me saying, Hey, on one, if there's, if there's that, uh, right Sunday pin in the middle, you can't hit it past. If you, if we miss, we're going to miss to the right, but you can't hit it deeper than 28 on the green because yeah. you get behind the tier. I could say that to you, but if we are over there practicing those shots the week prior, then you get that Sunday pin and you know exactly what your strategy is. Uh, going into that green, you know, so yeah. you gotta, you gotta do the work. And that's one thing I learned. Uh, I got another story. Can I tell it? I'm yeah, absolutely. Up. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so I got, I got upset. I'm not going to name that, that one of my players uh, a few years ago who showed up late, new caddy, caddy had never seen the course and he did an media and the, our lesson was supposed to be, and then we ended up doing the lesson on the course. It was, it was awful. And I told him after, I said, listen, I'm not happy about what just happened. He missed a cut. He goes, me neither. I'm glad you said that. I said, let me tell you a story about being a pro's pro. So I heard this from Craig Chalmers. Uh, Craig Chalmers goes over to the Hamburg Open in Germany to play. It's a Sunday prior to the, you know, the tournament week. And he goes out to chip and putt just to kind of shake off the travel. And he's walking around with his putter and a wedge, and he sees Bernard Langer out on the golf course uh, with a notebook, taking notes, walking around, taking notes, same thing, putter and a wedge. Now, this is a Hamburg Open. Bernard Langer's two times master champ. He doesn't need to be preparing for the Hamburg Open, right? Mm -mm. You wouldn't think so. Uh, Greg Chalmers goes back to, like, hey, Bernard, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just making sure my notes are right, yada, yada. So he goes back to the hotel, and he's wasting time on the Internet. Googling the tournament course designer, Bernhard Langer. So Bernhard Langer, who's a pro's pro, is checking his notes for the course he designed to make sure they're right five days before the tournament starts. I mean, that's similar to what you very, did in Pasta, Very meticulous. Right? Very meticulous. I'm just saying he's a pro. He's a pro. Yeah. You know? So there yeah. you go. <laughs> and I, I have to get to the story as well about Augusta. Um you know, being prepared is one thing and, and, but sometimes you just, you're just, your mind and your body isn't quite right. And thank goodness I had you there because you and I had our, just our normal putting session. Um, and, and we did it on the top, which, you right. know, there's a great practice facility at Augusta National. And you always said, go to, if you're going to putt, go to the, go to, go behind nine and 18. Right. The, the, the original green is more like the course. It's different than the one, the new one they built, I think. <laughs> Right. And so you, you and I, we've, we've done our block training. We did some random, probably did okay in that maybe a miss or two here and there, uh, which for the most part 
the star drill that we would do would be four to six feet for the most part out of five pots i would normally or 10 pots i wouldn't make seven to eight for the most part every time um and then we do our we go compete and for the most part all i i was pretty good about winning um the drills that we would do but for whatever reason this day on a monday or tuesday morning when there's 200 people watching us right. go through this this uh routine i mean i am just all over the place i am i'm at the time, probably one of the less best lag putters on tour. Meaning, I mean, right. if I'm if I got a forty footer, it's going to end up with a with a tap in for the most part. And I'm putting it off the green. I'm three putting all of this. I'm missing the short ones. And after, do you recall what you said to me? I was like, I know I don't, but I probably was like, go take three Advil and have a coke or something. I don't know. No, it, it was a it was some form of. We we kind of just had to like sit back and be you you were just kind of like all right we're di- we're dissecting this it's like everything looks good there's no reason to freak out did you do anything different this morning and I was like ah you know I, instead of two or one a leave I, I did take two and you're like you know what that's it that's, that's it. it you had two leave this morning so you're just a little jittery did you eat any food it's like ah. Eh. Not as much as I normally did. Any coffee? He was like, yeah, a little bit. He's like, that's it. That's that's all it was. And and we walked right off of that green. And we said, you know what? We it was a win that we didn't w- walk off that green with losing confidence. <laughs> exactly right. No, that's right. That's that's right. <laughs> listen, sports is performed at that level on a razor's edge, right? It's on a razor's edge, and little things matter, right? And it. it <laughs> yes. And the reality is I probably was just like trying to like, please, God, give me something to say to him so he's not freaking out. But reality, <laughs> that, might be, that might be exactly hey, I what I bought it. I bought it. No, that might be exactly what's going on. It's like, hey, let's not hit the panic button. You know, mm-hmm. everything's great. Let's just, you know, do, get our nutrition right and our rest and our, you know, caffeine. You know, that might be exactly right. <laughs> it works. And I guess – this this to me is, you know, like, like James, you, you were a player, you, your brother was a player on tour, and you have all this information that you've mastered your craft, and, and I'm not sure how long it took you to really master exactly how you taught the short game, but I'm sure it evolved over the years. But just speaking to what we were just talking about in coaching tour players, what was that jump like as far as like figuring out how to how to coach a tour player, how to coach elite athletes versus, you know, if a Joe Schmo comes, it's probably easy for you to just give that information. And the coaching is just, you know, developing a plan like we talked about. But we're talking about the best players in the world right. and managing their emotions and, and also how they, you know, go about their processes. Was was that a tough transition for you? Was it easy? It, it was a learning curve. You know, it's, it's easier if you if you're competent. And I'm, this is sound like self-aggrandizing, but to me, if you're competent, competent. It's easier to coach a tour player than it's an amateur because you. I tell you what to do in the bunker. It's either going to work right away if it's the correct thing, or if it's the wrong thing, it's not working right away. It's like you can't fake it. So you you got to mm, be okay. right. And the other reason we got to be right is obviously they're trying to pay their mortgage with how they play golf. So uh, that aspect of it I liked. I mean, if I said the right thing, we're going to know in three minutes, right? Mm, You're not going to yeah. have to work on it for a month to find out. Well, sometimes <laughs> the amateur there. There might be a mobility issue that you're working around that you you know they just can't do. So that that part is better about working with a pro. The, one of the major differences, is from a coaching standpoint, is what am I going to teach you on Tuesday when you got to tee it up in front of thousands of people on Thursday and it's got to be easy to do, 
right? So you coach differently on a Tuesday than you would maybe on an off week. If you had, if we met in Omaha and we had three weeks off before your next event, I could certainly take more on and dive a little deeper and we could pick it apart and put it back together quicker or, or not quicker, but uh, more thoroughly than Tuesday. I'm like, What's going to be easy to do that's going to have a positive benefit that's, that he can do and be confident with this afternoon? And that that took a few years, that skill set as a coach to develop compared to, you know, the other. But so I not like overcoach, like not, not overcoaching. Is, yeah. It's the worst thing you can do. So it's one reason why I only go out to a tour event once a month because, like, don't the only thing worse than not having a coach – is to be overcoached, getting too much, right? And that's far worse. So I'm always very cognizant of trying to keep it simple, trying to keep it to, you know, digestible bites, trying to – and I think I always feel like this why Butch Harmon was such a great coach is that he his players walked away more confident after a session. Yeah. So more certain, more clear, more confident. So that's really your job. And that's uh, maybe not exactly the job if, like I said, if it's off season and you're you're trying to build uh, foundational things where you're more repeatable, more control. And, and that, then you're diving a little deeper into maybe the physics of how you deliver a club, so to speak. Well, yeah, that all makes a ton of sense. And and for those of you that are, that are listening to this podcast, we are going to transition into the more of a visual. We're going to have some videos that are going to play here in a minute. We're going to kind of dissect the, the putting short game and bunker. Um, but before we get there, one last question is, you know, we kind of have talked about how you learned your craft and, and learning the short game. And uh, you always mentioned to me, Seve Ballesteros. And I just wanted to hear your story on on you watching Seve back in the day and, and how you were able to kind of figure out what he did and realize, wait, I've been doing this my whole life wrong. Well, just right. watching Seve do everything. And I was de- and I was good. I didn't have problems. You know, I played. It was good. Yeah. I was there, played in Asia. But so essentially, it's kind of interesting. My brother's 10 years older than I. He played seven years on the European tour, finally got his PGA tour card, you know, after seven years of playing in Europe and played 11 years on the PGA tour. Well, actually before he played in Europe as a 20 year old or whatever, when he turned pro 21, he was in Bogota, Colombia playing a tournament. He runs into a 17 year old Seve <laughs> and they could, my brother could speak Spanish. So they, you know, they interacted, became friends. And so for seven years on the European tour, my brother and Seve Ballesteros would, do dinner or they do practice rounds together just like you do with your friends when you played on the tour so uh fast forward now i'm 18 i'm caddying for my brother at wingfoot in the u.s open and we played two practice rounds with seve ballesteros it was great we had dinner together they practiced together they did practice rounds together and i'm seeing now a magician Mm. around the greens and i wasn't smart enough at the time to like oh i'm going to take notes or take videos, but it was, it was just cool. And then actually Tom Pernice was part of that click as, as well a little bit. So uh, fast forward, I'm 28 years old and I had plenty of interactions where they would practice and I'd just watch basically right in that 10 year period. But now I'm 28, I'm getting married. I'm going to open my own golf academy and I go, I have no idea what I'm going to teach. 
So I had the idea of like, well, I'm, I'm caddying for my brother at the players. I'm going to spring my video camera and I'm going to video every great player that I can. Well, sure enough, uh, two practice rounds with Seve Ballesteros at the players and they practiced together. So I hadn't, there was a, it was a VHS set, like a, you know, what like a, <laughs> you know, channel three, you know, it was oh, a huge gosh. thing, but I took basically probably six hours of video of him just hitting little shots around the green. And I also got Raymond Floyd and Corey Pavin and the guys that could really go and realized as I was watching those tapes, I studied those tapes for like four months between, I was kind of before I opened just trying to figure out what they did. Why was he so amazing where maybe I would, I'd call myself average. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was, you're right. The stuff I thought was true is not even remotely true. Your head does not stay still in a chip shot. It moves forward. Then it moves down and up, you mm -hmm. know, and that's what I was noticing. And I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, I thought you're supposed to keep your head still. Dumb, dumb yeah. stuff like that. So I put together my, my approach and my beliefs smiling as far as short game. Putting maybe came a bit later, but, um, you know, the reality is it was a, it was a fair, I was, everybody's like, you're teaching what? That, that's not, I'm like, yeah, no, this is what I see Seve and Raymond Floyd do. This is what I'm going to, and they, they go, no, that's not right. So it took a while, but I think most people kind of are more in agreement with some of the things I teach now. Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely, I think most, most people would agree. This is like the way to pitch and we're about to get into the the video side of this this podcast where you can watch on our youtube page and uh and james i'll ask you this do you happen to have a, a video of Sevy in the files um, i have a couple old ones now it's kind of off angle and i have a picture but I, yeah you, you want me to share my screen here yeah absolutely absolutely all right so here's a here's a really young Sevy, you know uh and one of the things i've taught or i learned when i started studying is how when you're on an upslope, like he is, clearly, that you need to shallow the delivery. You know, Smiley, we had talked about how the angle of attack of the, you know, if, if this is the ground and, mm -hmm. you know, the golf ball, this may not work because golf ball's there. Mm -hmm. but as you come down and you're doing it correctly on a flat lie, like the angle of attack down is like six degrees, right? Yep. Well, yep. if you're on an upslope, that's upslope is is adding steepening the angle so one of the things you have to do is shallow it out so one of the things you see on an upslope we i call this the raymond floyd shot when i taught you it'd be like look how yep. left he's lined up i mean crazy left and so relative to his body he's feeling like he's really swinging inside out right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. relative to the target it might not be off plane but you can see the toe up in the air which is one of the things i've always loved and you can see how quiet his legs are there in the transition and so he's shallowing the delivery on this upslope basically swinging more along the slope and of course that upslope helps push the ball up in the air so that would be an example of studying video of Seve and 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 going oh wow this is curious I wonder how it's that but you know there wasn't ever a time where I didn't have an uphill uh chip shot where I didn't think okay, this is the Raymond Floyd shot. I would say it in my head every single time. It would, it would open up and just get a little into out. I can't tell you how smart that is, Smiley, because one of the things that we, we always want to do is be clear and committed. And so when you call your shot, so to speak, let's mm -hmm. say Larry Bird's playing Michael Jordan, and they're oh, just Larry Bird, period. Like, I'm going to shoot left-handed, and I'm going to bank it in. You know, he would call his shot, right? So 
is there, there's commitment all of a sudden, right? I just told mm-hmm. you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit the Raymond Floyd shot and I'm going to land it just on the green. And, you know, all right. So uh, can I go through this one of Ronder Bonahiri? Is this okay? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just right. roll through whatever you so got. You, you mentioned earlier block practice. So this is block practice. And the way you know is that he's got a line that he's made in the sand with his club to check his ball position and his alignment, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, here's something that most people are not going to like, but it's the truth. Thinking and sports go horrible together. You cannot think and be a good player. You think in the preparation phase or the planning phase of your shot, but over the shots, you don't want to think. You want to feel. You have pictures and sensations go are amazing in sports, but like thoughts are no good. So when Honorbon gets in and he's doing his block practice, he's going to feel the movement pattern that he needs to execute this shot, and he's rehearsing it in his mind. Now, his eyes might even be closed here. He's feeling the movement, all right? That's the movement, and now he's going to execute. Now, let me tell you before I play that what he's feeling. All right, so you do not want to deliver from under in a bunker. You're going to alternate between hitting fat and scrolling across the green. So he's created stability in this left quad, by turning his toes out and sitting and putting his weight there. Okay. He's doing that actually at a dress. I like a big old turn where he kind of keeps the club in front of his chest. Mm-hmm. Nice full wrist hinge. And now he's unwinding this uh, shoulders and chest into the inside part of his quad. He's feeling that movement. Now, what happens if you spin your hips instead the club lays down and you deliver from inside? So he stabilizes his lower body. He's turning into his left leg. And then once you can only go so far turning into that leg. And then once he hits that kind of breaking point, he's going to fire that club head. He's going to release the crud out of it. And then uh, let's see if I can move this. To, and now you, yeah, you mentioned a, the, a real cup to left wrist as yeah. well to be able to deliver it with some a, dynamic uh, loft. A video of you out of the bunker, they'll stop sharing and I want you to play. And then we'll look at that cup wrist if you don't mind. All right. So stability in the leg, turning the chest into the knee, and then firing the club and rehinging. So good bunker mm-hmm. players get the club in and out of the sand in a hurry. And they go from that hinged cupped left wrist to unhinging and rehinging quickly. And you can see both feet are still on the ground, right? So there's the stability. Right. It's completely different than, um, than a normal one. Yeah. Why don't you do this? If you don't mind, I'm going to stop that. And why don't you pull up your video, your bunker shot. We'll go through that. That's perfect. Yeah. The, I would say like the one thing that I always would feel in the bunker was, um, trying to keep my head like something was holding me up on my right side to keep me on the left side to keep me from backing up is there any way to stop that video like halfway or at the top of your backswing yeah now here's the extended left wrist that's perfect so the left wrist when it has that cup in it that it's called extension and if you thought of dustin johnson or john ron they'd be inflection right mm-hmm. so in the bumper yep. If you're in extension like this, if you look at the face of the club, it looked like it on the wrong side of the shaft. It's pointing over here towards the, the palm tree. And, of course, if you hit a five iron like Wide that, open. you'd hit a 90-yard <laughs> slice, right? So 
One of the things you have to understand is that the delivery in the bunker is completely different than the delivery of a, a normal golf shot, a five iron shot. Then if you could, I don't know if we could stop it, but or at least slow it, is that the, in the delivery, because your lower body's stable, the club head will pop down through your hands or outside of it and exit way over here to the left. It should exit right over here under your left shoulder. And you can see how yep. far left that throw is, right? So I always felt like my right arm was, or right, my right hand felt like it was underneath at the bottom and that I would use it basically just throwing the back of the club and yeah. feel like I was throwing sand yeah. over my left well, shoulder. The, the back of the club will hit the sand because you're an extension and you're letting it pass, right? So it's, it's that. Yeah. Do, uh, um, do, do you have the face on one? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, here it is. First off, you can always tell by the audio, right? When you hear it, it's like that <laughs> clack. And that's yep. speed and the back of the club smacking the sand. So same thing, toes out sitting, nice big turn. Left leg is – a lot of people – you know, so in a full swing, you would post on that leg. You'd, you'd push down. The vertical force would help you straighten the leg. Well, in the bunker, the left leg not only stays flexed, but actually increases its flex and moves towards the pin. So if you're looking at your left knee there, it's flexed. It stays flexed, and it actually mm -hmm. moves over to the outside of your uh, left toe. Seek, I think one of the – besides just being a very good coach, I think one of the things I think you're best at is is teaching players – about the lies that they have. So right. for instance, down slope versus up slope, a lot of sand versus not a whole lot of sand, short-sided bunker shots, long bunker shots. What's our plan? And I think uh, like for you, let's just start with like sand thickness and then we'll maybe go to down slope, up slope and kind of how you attack those right. things. And not just thickness, Smiley, but like soft versus brick hard, you know, sometimes yeah. rain and the, the courses don't do Vegas was always no sand. It's like, yeah. And, and it's brick hard. So, so you always have your base foundational technique, and let's call that Augusta National Sand. Like, it's perfect, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, but then you have to adapt or change slightly for varying conditions. So when you have firm heart, you need to steepen the delivery, slow the swing down, because the firm sand is going to make the ball come out fast, right? And the problem with that is if you get the face too open on firm sand, then it over bounces and the ball goes forever so you've got to like slightly square like really steep and slow well the opposite like would be swinging true. in an elevator <laughs> yeah the opposite would be true in super soft or thick sand you would the ball comes out slow so you would defer down to, we would defer down to your 55 degree wedge right you would might widen your arc you might feel your arms more in front of you so you have a little bit more width and a little bit more u-shaped delivery instead of a v-shaped delivery and if you know it's coming to come out slow, you need add bounce. So we'd open that face up more, right? And you might mm -hmm. have to increase the speed. So that's, those are kind of the basics. And then, like I showed you that uh, video of Seve uh, hitting a little finesse shot off an upslope. Well, he shallowed the delivery. Well, on an upslope, you might have to shallow the delivery a little bit. On a downslope, you'd steepen the delivery while still keeping the loft on the club, which is kind of the hard part, right? So we'd yep. widen out, we'd lean, keep the ball forward. So we keep, but we would lean hard on that left knee and get that club baby up and a little more out. So you could throw a little more to the left, which steepens the delivery. But once again, you get the ball up in the air, you still got to have that face wide open. So yeah, down, down slopes was always like fade more bias, like right. more cutty. And then upslope was always more draw bias. Right. 
Exactly right. So now, literally, if we're if we're coming full circle, we're really just having a discussion again about Ricky Fowler. Hey, Ricky, how'd you get so good? Well, I threw balls everywhere, and I basically like screwed off. So, if you're in a pile in the middle of the bunker, hitting shot after shot, Smiley, you're not developing the skills you need to be a good tour player because the very first hole, the ball's six inches below your feet, and you know you got to go off angle across the green. You know what I'm saying? The next one, it's yeah. like a huge upslope. So literally what we would do in training is we would do your line like honor bond. We go through our foundational checks, literally might hit three good shots with each club, three with the 60, three with the 55. And then we would play crazy shots. Okay. Upslope across the green. Okay. Downslope short-sided. Okay. Buried. Okay. What do we do? And we'd scoop sand out of one area and say, okay, there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of sand here. What would you, you know? And so we, we would practice that and it's not, as a coach, you know, I've never hit a shot. It's not me, but if I can, and uh, if I can provide an environment where you can learn mm-hmm. and really learn it on your own, like you didn't get it. Let's try one more time. Oh gosh, that, that time I felt it coach. Well then I know I can go away. And then three weeks later, if you happen to be facing a situation like that, that you same deal, like you're prepared to execute. And that's all you're trying to do as a coach is like, uh, you're not trying to put a coach's head on a player's shoulder. What you're trying to do is you're trying to create kind of a learning environment where they feel confident and adept at every scenario or situation. Yes. And the, uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think the next kind of part of this is looking at some pitching videos. And now when you're pitching, are we hitting how far here, Smiley? Well, this is just a, this is a, this pitch would probably be a two and a half or a three. Yep. On the one to four scale. Right. From so, 20 yards? Uh, this is, yeah, probably 20 yard target. Probably land it. The problem is, 15 is that yards. these are all in high speed, aren't they? Yes. So if you got slow mos, let's go to those. If you want to. You can play it. And let me see if I can just see that video. I can't see it. It's. Oh, is it not? Is it not playing for you? Well, it plays, but it sticks and it's not fluid. And now you're. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's jump. just go to yours then. All right. All right. So, Smiley, if I recall, I think this is Beth Page Black, is it not? You know what? I was trying to think it's, in my head where it was. It's, a it's 100% Beth Jersey, Page Black. Or New York. It's, I think it's it is. It's Beth Page. It's Beth yeah, Page. Across the road. So, Beth Page Black. So, this is a playoff event, I believe. And yep. one of the things I love here, so I always have a checkpoint. If we're going to, you know, pop the ball up in the air, spin it, I want the face open to the path. So, if we're talking about delivery. Right. Uh, so that means the toe of the backswing has got to be up in the air. Well, so once again, that's a horrible thing to do for a five iron. The club mm-hmm. in front of you, so you're really controlling the radius of your swing, right? It's reproducing. So if we're looking from a foundational point of view, like uh, narrow open stance, not just your feet, but also your chest, uh, you always felt best when like there was connection between your arms and your body, a little bit more like Steve Stricker. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what to do. You felt a little disconnected, I think here. So I grabbed your golf towel and I wadded up in a ball and I stuck it between your arms to try and f- help you feel this connection. Right. So this is just probably a standard, like st- stock trajectory to what I call two trajectory shot, toe up through your hands on plane delivery, face open to the path, Angles are coming out, so you're releasing the club. And uh, if this is your block practice, uh, then what you're doing 
is creating a sensation or a feeling. So later in the tournament, you didn't have to think. You could feel the towel. Uh, can I? Yeah, see, one of the things uh, that always, like, the feeling I had here is that I always hated when my arms felt like they outraced my chest on the way back. So when it felt like my arms were connected to my pivot on the way back, it always felt like I could then just focus on having a flex left knee and, and delivering the club face properly. Right. Well, number one, the, the plane is amazing. The face to path relationship is correct. And the, that, like I said, maintaining the radius of your circle because it's kind of connected to your chest is so easy. You're not down cocking that thing or, but watch your face, watch how it lifts. And it's not just your face. It's called extending. You're extending your chest. All great. Remember I said, you don't keep your head still when you chip. All great mm-hmm. pitchers make room for the delivery. So they all in their delivery lift up a little bit as they rotate their chest. And you'll see that. And basically that creates freedom. Now, I don't tell players to lift. I tell them, hey, freedom through the bottom of your swing. Feel the flow through your, you know, through your feet, basically, there. Because uh, as you're lifting the, and you're turning your chest, the, the weight's kind of flowing into your lead foot, right? So you don't, like, I get this from amateurs all the time. I scolded. I must have lifted. I'm like, no, you didn't lift. You delivered <laughs> from inside, you know. So you can see that slight lift or freedom extension through the ball, right? So that's that's really a great uh, video for so many reasons. You can pause it now. So my thought yeah, would be, and I, I have one more question as we kind of just sit here, maybe watch it one more time is the concept of that, a full golf swing, the difference between the sequence of somebody that's hitting a full iron shot versus right. somebody that's hitting a pitch like this and what moves first versus what moves last. And, right. and really it's a game of opposites, right? It is. And, and this is one of the things I noticed when I was studying those tapes of Seve Ballesteros, I wrote about, Put it in my notebook, which like I gave you when you're 10. And then ultimately, Greg Rose read it uh, as the t- founder of TPI, co-founder. And, you know, said, I have the kinematic sequence grasp of this. I know you're correct because this I have this is Steve Stricker right here. And I'll show you. So in the transition in a full swing, the first thing you're getting is you you load right. Now you got to land. You, you got horizontal force through your feet down into the ground so that ultimately you can push and rotate and pass energy onto the club. If you did that here, you'd be horrendous. So one of the things you'll see is in the transition from backswing to downswing, your legs and hips are very quiet. They don't land. The first thing that moves is really your your arms and the club. So your hips are quiet. The club is going first. Now the chest rotation moves your hips around the corner. So that's literally... Mm -hmm. Hips moving, probably that firing would be a better way to say it. Firing last as opposed to firing first. Uh, and the people that have that sequence, not all tour players have it. There, there's a million ways to do it, right? But there were 11 people in the database at TPI that had this sequence, okay? And it was Steve Stricker, Luke Donald, Corey Pavin. You know, Tom Brady's going to keep the crap out of it. <laughs> So so that's ultimately what I noticed from seven, what I've tried to teach you at a a young age. And maybe you don't even remember learning it. I don't know. Or maybe you do. Oh, I do. I do. Um, It was like once the light switch came out when I was like, oh, wait, okay. So out of the top, I need to feel the club head first. Okay. That that's different. And I, I mean, you have to, you have to have good tempo and you have to be kind of 
free flowing, as you kind of described, yeah. to be able to have the patience to do that. Um, right. So what I, I, I guess what like, I try to do as yeah. a coach, Smiley, is, is I try to, like I said, you don't want to put coach's head on a player's body. So I'll, I'll use words that are easier to understand. I don't want you thinking about kinematic sequence when you play. I'm like, hey, okay, <laughs> this way we do it. Together, that's way. <laughs> like there's a towel in your arms, tempo in the transition, it's unrust, you know, gravity is your friend. All right, then gather speed as you go, and that peak speed's in front as you're turning. Yep. You know, and so all of a sudden, you're, you've got these sensations that create the right sequence as opposed to like, What's the sequence? How am I, you know, and I'm, does that make sense? So I'm like, yeah, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And, and for instance, this shot here, we, we ran on a scale from one to four. So one was our lower trajectory shot, uh, like super low, almost your bump and run type of shot. Your four would be like your ultimate short sided flop shot. And I'm, I'm curious in your, uh, in your database, do you have a, do you have a four that we can look at? Uh, If if you have it, Face on would be great, so we can really see kind of how how similar it is to a bunker shot and how you right. set up to. Like, there's Pernice hitting a what I call a two. Mm-hmm. I might have you in here, but let me just run through them first. There's Charlie Hoffman hitting a or Charlie Wee hitting a four. So let me see what else. Oh, that's the one. Here's <laughs> He's that, so good at these two. Here's Pernice hitting a three. So this is what I'll do. Okay, I'll do Pernice hitting a two and a three. Or wait a minute. Yep. I got him the same day. In the same close, hitting it too. So, <laughs> all right, let me move this thing. How's that for a two and a three? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that shows us. I mean, it just shows the how we get a little wider. The, right. and the, then uh, show the, the shaft comes back. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, my, my bad. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let me lower those. Okay. Can I ready to roll? Can I just start? Yeah, you're good. Yeah. All right. So, Smiley, one of the things I taught you way back was that your setup controls the trajectory. And if you can't define your trajectory, if you don't know how it's coming out, you can't pick your landing spot. So, we numbered these. One, two, three, four. Low would be super. Your, your two would be your stock. So, this is Tom Pernice Jr., who's maybe best on the planet. One of the best on the planet, wedge-wise, and that's a two. And you can see he's got forward shaft lean. Look at the face. The face is always sits open. That adds bounce. Remember with the face open to the path. But if I put another line right at the front of the ball, that's what I noticed with Seve Ballesteros. I'm going to put a line on his head so you can see it go forward and lift. But whatever angle you set it at, it returns to that same angle at impact, except at the front of the ball instead of the back. And so that's really coming in at the right angle. So right right about there, it's returning more or less to the same angle. That's a good shot, okay? And then it comes right around with his chest. Well, if he's gonna do that and hit it higher, he widens, this would be a three trajectory, all right? A one would be maybe behind his back foot or so that there's more shaft lean, right? Uh, oh boy, excuse me on that one. But you'll see, almost like a bunker shot, he keeps, he widens and sits, lowers his hands, gets further away. And then at the bottom, that left knee stays flexed. 
And he at the bottom, because of that, he could throw the head of that club past the ball and around the corner. So mm, all of a sudden, goodness, that's, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, that's so good. Look at that extension he gets on yeah, the way back. Now, I'm going to say this. This is probably only a 12-yard carry. But you look at the launch of that ball. This was goodness. at Des Moines in the Champions event versus the launch of that ball. And you can see the difference in trajectories, right? Well, mm-hmm. we don't want to play a four very often, but I would say this. You were the master of the four. You could hit it higher than almost <laughs> anybody. And I don't have to yeah. there. But here's Charlie Wee. This is uh, clearly the back of the range at TPC Sawgrass, right? Yep. And so now he's even winding more. Look how open that face is. Now, here's the key. If you don't stabilize on this knee, if it doesn't stay flexed, because you're going to release this super shallow. Otherwise, you'd, yep. you'd shank it. That left knee has to increase its flex, but like you, he liked to keep it in front of his chest, stabilize the knee, and then throw the club past the flexed knee, and then now look at Ooh, that ball. Look at that. So that would be a four. So when we were looking at your down the line, you were hitting a two, but you were very good. I have, if I searched my database in here somewhere, I'm sure I could find you hitting two. <laughs> it ain't but, I always, deal. I always feel like in a process, you know, as I'm sharing my screen, let me, let me share my screen. Let me uh, pull up uh, this presentation I have, this PowerPoint presentation. So if um, in a process, when you're trying to picture your shot, you once again, you're being Ricky Fowler and you're going, hey, um, I'm going to screw around and hit every conceivable type of shot I can hit. Uh you're basically running this little process. Can you see this right here? Yeah, All yeah, right. I see it great. So what I would look at is like, okay, you're gonna smile at you. You're you got a shot. Let me just pick a shot for you, okay? One that you can visualize. Uh, let's see. You, you are the the pin is on the eleventh green at Augusta National, and it's it's the front left pin. Okay. Oh gosh. And you I, missed over there. Right. You missed over there to the right, like you should. <laughs> now we have. Where do we want to putt from? The wind, the slope, which is dead away from you. The lie, the distance, the grain, the grass, the break. And now what you got to do is you got to choose a club. So let's say you got a 12-yard carry to get it just to the fringe, which is, right? What club are you going to pick for that shot? For for how fast that shot is, yeah. it's going to be my 60 degree. Or yeah. 62 you had, right? Yeah, I had a 62 as well. Just that always was so lie dependent. And the lies at Augusta were not as good as people think they are. That's true. They're grainy and tough. All right. So let's say you go 62. What trajectory? Is it a one, a two, a three, or a four? Well, a one might be if you bounce it short of the green, right? But you play a three. Exactly. That one we saw Tom play. Where's your landing spot? Well, basically the fringe, right? Or just on. Just left of the pin because it's probably going to go down the hill and break to the right or whatever. Well, now you walk in clear. So when you said earlier, like, I always got that upslope and I verbalized, oh, I'm going to hit the Raymond Floyd shot. What you're doing is you're going, I'm going to hit the 62. I'm going to hit a three. I'm going to land it there. I got a picture in my head. I'm not thinking about technique. I'm thinking about my shot. I set up and Mm -hmm. then I let it fly, right? So I call that running a process. I'm going to stop share. Well, there we go. And, uh... You have to be able to run a process on every single shot. And and because rule number three is you can't be distracted. You got to be clear. 
you got to be committed. You got to have a plan. You can't be making it up over the ball, right? Otherwise, right. like all, that's when all of the what ifs come in. So uh, that's trajectory. That's how we did it. Uh, we did it through setup, and then the swing foundations because we've done it through setup for the most part stay the same. The face is always toe up through your hands, right? The sequence is always the same. You just set up for for whatever trajectory you wanted to hit. And and seek uh, last little thought on that. You know, I think there's a lot of people that think that you have to hit um, chip shots that have a ton of spin on them. But when I've played with Steve Stricker, Luke Donald, and I watch them pitch, they're not hitting the low spinners a ton unless they have a ton of green. Most of the time, they're hitting the two, the three shot, which is the the mid trajectory shot that's a little higher, but they're able to hit their spots and and it has some spin on it. But they're able to, you know, when they're when they're out of position, like at number eleven at Augusta, they're they're hitting their spot more often than not. They're not taking on risk uh, with hitting the super flop shot and trying to get all this spin. And really, you know, sometimes you just got to trust your putter when you're out of position. I, I think I saw Luke and Steve do that more often than not. And a lot of times, too, when it lands like that, it, it's rolling like a putt. You are 100 percent true. And there, there are other coaches and probably players. It's like I want to hit spin, spin. Well, first off, you got to have the right wedge if you're going to hit that shot. If you got a mm-hmm. lot of bounce on your wedge, maybe it'll come out low. But if you, you don't, it's going to hit higher on the face and launch high. But I will say this. I patterned a little bit or, or Seve, he did the same thing. He didn't do it like blow checkers in there. He did it with trajectory. Think about this. How much spin? This is the ball coming down on the green, straight down. How much spin do you need it to go, not roll an inch? Zero. Yeah. It yeah. It's not going anywhere. So you yeah. don't need a ton of spin if you're doing it somewhat with trajectory. And you're right. Luke, uh, Steve Stricker's balls look like when he chips them, like they're rolling like putts and he, they look like they're going in. Every right? time. Every time is crazy. And I feel like Luke Donald's very similar, and that's kind of more of the style I would – I try and believe to be correct. Now, could I teach a low spinner? Yeah, I could, but I don't think it's the best way right now. Forward shaft lean creates spin. A lot of people get that wrong. So as I lean the handle forward and open the face, I'm adding spin. But I'm also mm-hmm. lowering the flight, right? So I'm yep. lowering the flight and adding spin. Well, what happens you hit that shot and you hit a hard spot on the green? It just shoots. But I feel like yeah. balls coming down more like Steve Stricker does it, I think, is, is the way that you can have more control uh, and, and repeatability. So that's that's yeah. you talk about the, the hit a hard spot on the green. Let's talk about, you know, when there's moisture on the green and that ball skips or right. when it, the greens are frozen like they are in Phoenix in the morning sometimes. Right. And it just hits like a trampoline. There's just a lot to take in on shots like that. It's really cool when it works out and it, and you get the, the crowd to say, ooh, and ah, when you hit the spinner. But, you know, it, yeah. it can be a more much more efficient I'll shot. I'll take Steve Stricker's um, short game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And this is a there's not a better transition than this than to let's talk about Steve Stricker's putting. And oh boy. I think I've I've I've. I thought about this a lot because Steve to me is a guy that I would put up against anybody as far as one of the best putters in the world and what he does. But you kind of discovered something about his putting and the fact that, right. listen, his lines aren't necessarily perfect, well, but he he he's able to return it back to where he thinks is, is straight is. Is that kind of well, a good way I'll of putting it? Story, and I wrote about this in the putting book I wrote uh, called, called Your Putting Solution. 
Uh, and it's a small sample size, so it's not fair to Steve because maybe he's that was just that week or whatever. But uh, and I've had success both ways. Charlie Wee's foundational principles putting were phenomenal as yours were, and he led the tour in putting one year first. However, I was waiting for somebody at John Deere. They weren't around, sitting on the putting green, and there's Steve Sticker putting. And so I took some video, and I went back to my hotel on night. I'm putting it in my computer, and I'm looking at it like I always do. And I'm like, oh, my God, Steve Stricker's putting stroke is trash. I can't believe this. Like, <laughs> best putter on the planet, right? Well, I go back. I don't think anything of it. And then uh, he shot 26 under and won the John Deere Classic by four shots. And so I, I, I had this thought, like, I have no idea – what I'm doing. I must be a horrendous coach because I just said his putting is trash and he just won by four and he shot like 60, you know, one day. Mm -hmm. So I looked there and then I got to thinking about it more from a coach's perspective, like curiosities, like why is it so good then? Because Smiley, you tell me this, what's the goal? Tell me the goals of putting just one at a time. What's one skill? Being able to uh, start line, you I would say, like on, so hit it on your extended you start have, line. You have, an, you have a picture in your brain of where this ball is going to start, right? And yeah, you got to be able to repeat, right? Right. right. Another would be you got to control the speed. So it means you got to have good rhythm. I'm looking at Steve Stricker's rhythm, thinking pretty good, right? Perfect. And then you got to read greens, right? So I'll show you this, and I hope Steve Stricker would mind. I certainly have never asked permission. So this is the week he wins at John Deere. And I'll Go just down. play it, and you just tell me what you think, okay? Now, obviously, you don't know what he's intending, where he's going, but you can see where he's got the ball. It's sitting on the heel, right? Yep, toe down, sitting on the heel. Okay. Steve Stricker-like, fair? I'll play it one more yeah. time. All right, now. Now we're going to slow it down. Now, his putter is aimed at the yellow line. You agree? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. I'm going to scroll here. You see his normal back, and he's sitting on the heel. He is at impact. The face is pointing probably 10 degrees left of where it was, and where he lined he's it up. On, he's sitting on the toe. And he's sitting on the toe. <laughs> now, here's the deal. So I'm going, that's trash. But what if the goal was not to have a pretty stroke? The goal was to be a high performer. And Steve Stricker is visualizing his ball roll over this blue dot, Okay. That's his line to the hole, and he can do it every single time. All right, so there's number one. Can you hit your start line? Well, I'm saying, yeah, apparently he can do it every single time. But where he aimed and what it's, you know, the, the, the golf ball doesn't know where he aimed. The golf ball just knows about the collision of the putter and the, the ball, right? right? So I always go, hey, shouldn't we be looking at this differently? Shouldn't we be A- can you hit your start line? Can you see or feel the line? And I think feeling the line is more important than seeing it, honestly. Can you sense mm -hmm. and control the speed for there's wind, there's slope, there's grain, there's, you know, this green's baked out, this one's not. Uh, can you sense and control your speed? And then this was the big one. Do you feel like the ball's going to go in? If those are the four skills, then Steve stroke, Stricker's stroke is not trash. It's like the most beautiful thing on the planet. <laughs> so I always start with this. It's like uh, we had our block practice, Smiley, but if you can hit a dime that's two feet in front of your ball, your ball is going to go in from 10 feet. That's just simple math. Okay. 
So a lot of times yeah. now when I test, I'll put a dime out there, and that's the blue dot for Steve Stricker, and just see whether you can hit it or not. Now, if you can hit it, I basically don't care how you do it, as long as you can repeat. But if you can't hit it, then that's where we're going to dive into mechanics, setup. What are you doing in your stroke? we got to develop this skill set to consistently hit our spot. Not only that, then we got to put the ball, the spot in the right place. And then we, so when we, right. All right. So when we trained, you, you had a strain, right? Tease for toe and heel. So we hit out of the middle. But after we did that, both left to right and right to left, and we were confident that you could aim and you're hitting your spot, right? Remember like um, John Deere or other places where we take our two coins and we would put coins out in the middle and we had a game where we had to roll it between this gate and get the ball to go in the hole. Well, that's about, that's about matching line of speed. That's about seeing a curve and then matching the speed. Right. So there's your three skills. I hit my spot. I proved it. I can do it right to left. I can do it left to right. Okay. Now I got to be able to put my spot out there in the right place and control the speed. So that's, that's how we trained for the most part. And then we had a process where we practice our green reading, right? Right around the hole. We did our little star drill. Of course. And that was it. They're pretty simple, but that that's based basically on those videos from Steve Stricker. Those are, that's 25 years ago, probably. It's, I mean, it's fascinating looking at, at Steve Stricker's putting stroke and thinking like, how does he make it in the middle of the hole every single time? But to be fair, if you got, if you got to watch him practice on the green at, at John Deere, a place that I don't think he's ever missed a putt at, it, right. it's probably, you know, and I imagine you didn't see him miss a whole lot. We've <laughs> all been off and that was one week, you know, and he putted amazing, but it's more important than that. And maybe he's, he's perfected it and he still puts amazing. I don't know, but the thing that boggled my brain as a coach is like, clearly you couldn't teach that. Right. But yet he was the best in the field of the best players in the world by a big margin with that. So, so what does clearly, that tell you? What does that tell you? you know? Chasing perfect is a fool's errand. There's no, it's about performance. It has nothing to do with, Oh, you should do this or you should do that. It's about, can you perform? And that's, you know, obviously since that experience, it's more, you can talk, by the way, I talk that care more about that than I do about like technical perfection things. I have my opinion, mm-hmm. but man, I just want you to play good. That's it. And yeah. so everybody has a different uh, movement pattern based on how they move their, their, where they're strong, where they're weak, where they're, where they're mobile, where they're, you know, and, and their history. And so as a coach, you're just trying to, and, and as a player, that more importantly, as a player, you cannot go down the rabbit hole of trying to be perfect. You're better off copying Lee Trevino than you are trying to be like Adam Scott and make it look perfect. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be yourself. And, be yourself. Uh, and you mentioned, you mentioned those coins, kind of put them about a dollar width apart. And I was going to ask you, is like, who's the best 15 foot to 25 foot putter on the tour over the last 10 years. And that, that answer would, would probably, you, you could argue, argue Jordan Spieth Jordan would be, Spieth, yeah. one, would be one of those guys. Well, at the Ryder cup this year, I'm, I'm sitting there just having a conversation with them. The next thing you know, I'm, I'm sitting there. It's like, Oh, you got the coins out. It's like, and I was just so, I was, I don't know why I was so surprised to see the one of the best, yeah. you know, 15 to 25 footers practicing, you know, putting it through the gate, which is that gate would be about uh, halfway point where you yeah. put it wherever the heck I'll you just, want to put just it. Just put it seeing the, the, line. the middle third. So you got to yeah. be able to predict the roll to the gate. And then obviously you got to see the last. So it makes you visualize the whole thing instead of just putting it right next to the ball. I don't think that, but anyway, uh, yeah, 
Jordan Spieth, for those that that's not a guess. If you look at the stats, four years in a row, uh, number one putt conversion, 25 feet or longer, four years in a row, the same guy wins. So that's that's not like an accident, right? That's work. No. That's skill. Yeah. And so he's done that by developing the intrinsic sense of being able to like see the curve and match the speed. And now I basically stole that. Uh, and as like most things, I just watched what good players do. And I said, well, that's what I'll teach. And I've given that to Honor Bon Lahiri. Now, Honor Bon uh, had his most phenomenal year ever last year. You know, he finished mm-hmm. uh, well, he finished third at the players the year before. No, second at the players the year before. And he had uh, five second-place finishes this last year. And uh, he had five second well, place finishes he had last year. Three on live, and then he finished second in Vietnam and second in Indonesia. He played a couple. Okay, so still so unbelievable. <laughs> that's five, some golf, right? Yeah, that's some golf, and it's it's why. Well, it's the same formula I've been sharing. He has his foundations. We check it every day. Then we just work on like with the coins. That's skill. We work on skill, and we talk about like, okay, I'm not going good. Okay, what's distracting you? Well, it could be the coffee. It could be the Advil, right? It could be, it could be be the 200 people and it could be your first time at watching. It could be their first time at Augusta. There's a lot of distractions. So you're trying to just push that away uh, away and stay in the moment and execute, which is what every champion has done, whether it's a football game or a basketball game or a golf tournament, you got to find a way to push all the distractions away and just execute. And so, I mean, if if uh, if this doesn't get you excited about going to work on your game, I don't know what else what else we could do because James, you're not only a fantastic dude, but I've known you pretty much feels like my whole life in my in my golfing world. I mean, you've been such a great uh, figure to me and mentor, and always making sure that uh, I I was listening. You know, sometimes it's very easy to get off in this game of golf, and you were always very good about keeping me on track and. Uh, for those that, that don't follow James, definitely give him a follow on all his social media. But also, if you want to get more in-depth on all of these conversations, your sh- your short game solution and your putting solution are two books that James has, has uh, been a part of that are, are great reads. And I would definitely lead you to the, figuring out you know some of these games that are how to compete and the block practice are all much more in-depth in these books. But James, thank you again for coming Thanks, on, buddy. and uh, we're going to have to do this again sometime, I'd right? I'd love to do it, and, and Smiley, you know what? You're just not a student, man. You're part of my family. I know your granddad. <laughs> I know your mom. I know your dad. I know your brother. You know, I, this is this is uh, it's a thing, so I'm, on, I'm in, on your team no matter what, all right? Well, we're only family until we get on the pickleball court. No, then no, then, dude, think, then you throw family out the window, you, right? Bring your pickleball <laughs> court to waste management, okay? <laughs> that's that's where we separate friends and friends and foes it's like all right if you get up on up in that net you're gonna take one right to the right to the thorax (laughs) you bring it all right man well great thanks for coming on and we'll have to do it again thanks folks see you soon the smiley show is part of the sirius xm sports podcast network if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast.